Hello and welcome to Equipping the Saints. I'm Ryan, and thank you for joining us today. I'm not sure if I want to consider this week eight of our study of living in the Spirit, or as an overall conclusion of what we have been talking about. But what we're going to be talking about today is an encapsulation of everything that we have been made aware of. And with that knowledge, with that wisdom that the Lord has given us over these weeks, what are we to do with it? What is the end result of everything we have learned to this point? So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll begin today in verse 13. The word says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. If we took a good look at the world around us, as we think about the experiences that we may have had in our own lives, could we not agree that humanity in general is always directing us toward a certain end? We seem to always be preparing for something. As children, our parents prepare us by teaching us everything we need to know to survive as an adult. Sometimes we have to be able to survive by mastering various subjects or skills that we learn at home or at school. As adults, many of us go to work in preparation for our own futures by acquiring years of loyalty to a particular workplace, putting money away into savings accounts or 401ks. When a new movie is about to come out, or when a new product is going to come to a store near you, they prepare you for it with previews and attractive advertisements. When you walk through the doors of a church, they typically have someone standing there at the door to greet you and to hand you a bulletin in order to prepare you for what's going to be taking place today. But even with all that, we are going to peer into the true wellspring of life and wisdom that we have in our possession, the precious Word of God. And the intent behind it is to gain clearer insight into our Lord's grace in our lives and ultimately what our response to it will be. We arrive at this particular passage of Scripture with a particular audience in mind. Peter describes in the first verse of chapter 1 that this letter is addressed to aliens, to foreigners. And through God's generous grace, these foreigners have entered into a salvation that is both secure and overwhelmingly joyful. As we can surely understand, it's not without its difficulties. These people are warned in advance that hard times will come upon them. But through their perseverance, God will confirm his calling in them by emerging from these trials victoriously in the end. 
He goes on to say that the prophets of the Old Testament were speaking a message of salvation for a people that had not yet been born. And this message was in regards to a faith that was to come when the Messiah, the Chosen One, would come to save his people. The message being preached is both trustworthy and glorious to all those who believe. This message, what we today call the gospel of Jesus Christ, is so fascinating that even the angels are paying special attention to it, especially on how God continues to call people like you and me into his direct presence. This is indeed a unique privilege that not even the angels of heaven are offered. But if you haven't figured it out yet, ladies and gentlemen, we who have been born again are kinsmen to those that Peter is writing to. By the grace of God, we share the exact same hope, the same benefits, and the same effectual calling in our lives as these brothers and sisters in Christ did almost 2,000 years ago. Because of this reality, as verse 4 says, we have obtained an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Peter called them aliens or foreigners because God's people are no longer citizens of this planet. We are travelers, sojourners, vagrants of this world. And as a result, we're different from everyone else. So, as Peter explains to us how we reach this point at the beginning of the chapter, he then thrusts the responsibility back to us in the verses we started with today. Come back with me to verse 13, and you'll see what I mean. He starts with saying, therefore, and what he's doing is drawing the reader's attention back to the truths he spoke of in the first 12 verses of this chapter. And in light of those truths, he shows us how to properly respond to what God has already done for you and what he has planned for you in the future. The first thing we are to do is prepare your minds for action. This is the first step in a progression that Peter is outlining for us today. The language used here is specific and intentional in the Greek. Literally, what it's saying in the original language is to gird up the loins of your mind, your disposition, and your thoughts. If you have followed along with us in the past through the Old Testament, this might sound familiar to you. Or perhaps you've studied it on your own and you've seen that reference before. Since your average human being does not have loins in their heads, unless perhaps God built you differently than the rest of us, clearly this indicates a figure of speech, right? You see, in the ancient culture of that part of the world, men would typically wear long robes, much like they do today in the Middle East. But underneath that, they would wear a loincloth that would hang down, kind of like a, a slip underneath a robe. And so it was difficult to try and run like that. Things would be getting in the way of this activity. 
But when the situation arose that necessitated a need to run or prepare for battle, the man would wrap the end of his robe between his legs and then tuck it into his belt. And by doing that, his legs were no longer restricted, and so he was able to run freely. In the face of peril or danger or war, nothing would interfere with the activity that he was preparing to do. So with this understanding of what girding your loins meant in the biblical context, Peter's usage of the term gird the loins of your mind is completely intentional. And the mental picture is there for all to understand. There are many occasions in the New Testament where the apostles or even Jesus himself would speak of our salvation in military terms. There is a spiritual war constantly being waged around you, and sometimes you just can't see it, or you might not even be aware of it. God does not call people into salvation to simply become a civilian or a casualty of war. Like the good commander that he is, God does not send you into battle without you first understanding what is at stake, what the mission is, and what training he has in order for you to complete your mission. So let me ask you something. Do we truly understand what is at stake here? What is at stake? For those of you who are saved, surely you remember that you had a past without God. And regarding that life before you received salvation, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13 says, To remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What is this saying about those who have yet to taste the goodness of God? They are separate from Christ. They have no hope. They don't know God. They are far off. That might even describe some of us listening today. I don't know. But know this that God is not content with the idea of you being far away from him. But what are the consequences of being far from him? The Bible explains that it will result in an eternal separation where there is no going back. God can speak for himself, and this is what he says in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather than that he should turn from his ways and live? Repentance is what he's calling for. He doesn't want people to die. He wants people to live in repentance. Brothers and sisters, this is where we come in. We need to be a people of repentance ourselves, but there are people in this world who have never repented. God doesn't need us, but he has chosen to involve us 
in calling people to himself. We need to believe in the gospel, because apart from the gospel, there is no salvation in this world. We need to believe that we must make disciples of all nations. We need to believe that we are participants in this battle. We do not accomplish the will of God by internalizing our faith and simply being a spectator in this conflict. God is commanding us to prepare for war by girding the loins of your mind for action. The second thing that Peter is instructing us to do is to keep sober in spirit. There is a direct contrast that I would like to place alongside it in order for us to better understand what is being said here. What would be the complete opposite of staying sober in the spirit? Even as Christians, we can be described in this way if we're not careful. But this completely defines the state of the unsaved world around us. What is the opposite of this statement, staying sober in the spirit? Remain intoxicated in the flesh. Remain intoxicated in the flesh. Can't you hear that whisper in your own life? Be intoxicated in your flesh. You don't need God. You do what you want to do. It's always there, isn't it? It's that whisper to entertain ourselves with the next big thing instead of devoting our whole heart before God. It's the stuff that we surround ourselves with to make ourselves feel fulfilled. It is the pursuit of things that result in nothing of value at the end of the day. It certainly doesn't help that the demonic powers throw everything that they can at you in order to paralyze you in choices, in anxieties, and in countless lusts. Now, I'm not saying that entertainment is always bad, but I would be willing to put money down on the reality that most of us listening, if not all of us, if we were being honest with ourselves, we spend too much time pleasing ourselves rather than how we can please our Lord. Would that be a fair assessment? So how can we please him if we remain intoxicated in the flesh? There is only one standard. Keep sober in spirit. Stay alert and be looking for the wool that they are trying to pull over your eyes every day. Pay attention to what is captivating your heart and occupying your mind, and just stay away from those things. Be aware of the lusts and the garbage that we fill our heads with. Come to the realization that your enemy has been playing you this whole time, and every moment of every day, he seeks your destruction. And for all we know, you're probably falling prey to it. You may not even be conscious of that in the moment, but God's word shows us that those of us who have been born again in the Spirit are completely aware of what we are doing when we sin. 
and that should frighten you to no end. How we can just stamp out the Holy Spirit's command in our life, ignoring his convictions, that's scary. The world of the lost are completely justified in that because they are doing what is natural to them. But for those of us who have been called by God into his everlasting grace, we know precisely where we are violating our God's expectations of us, don't we? You might be placing your hope and your desires in the wrong place. But don't ever forget that while you draw breath, it's not too late to change course. Okay, so now we want to change course, right? We want to repent. But how do we do it? That's where the third thing comes in. The third thing that Peter tells us to do. He says to fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Did you know that you have made it this far in life only because God willed it to be so? That is his grace in your life. His grace is what saved you from yourself through regeneration by the Holy Spirit. But I want you to be reminded of who Peter is talking to. Who is his audience? They were people who had been redeemed by the grace of Jesus Christ, like you and me. So when Peter is stating here that we should fix our hope on the grace being brought to us, he's not referring to your transformation from being a child of Satan to a child of God. He's not talking about salvation here, because these people he's writing to have already received that grace. So then he's talking about something else, right? He's talking about a future event when Jesus Christ will be fully revealed to us. This is what comes at the end of the book. This is what happens when he returns in his full glory to judge the world. We are to fix our hope confidently in everything that Jesus promised he would do. The war has already been won at the cross. We have a glorious hope in a future of eternal joy and fellowship with our God. I would be willing to bet that if we kept this at the forefront of every day of our lives, it would drastically change the way that we look at things. We would come to the realization that the sinful pleasures of this world feel so empty and so pointless. It would keep your mind sober. It would grant an awareness of the urgency of our mission as believers. This would ignite your minds to engage in the action. If you still require convincing, let me ask you this. Why should we strive for this? Look at verse 14. Because God wants his children to be obedient. Willful, humble obedience to God is an act of worship. It is a confirmation of the love that you have for him. Remember what Jesus said 
in John chapter 14, verse 15, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Love is an action. But in this case, we could almost say that the correct action is a form of inaction. We do not conform ourselves to the patterns of this world. We do not get carried away by our old vices. We do not remain shackled to the addictions of our past. Before you knew Jesus, your sin was the only thing you knew. It felt normal. But once you're saved, you are not that person anymore. You are a new creature in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the new standard for you and for me. We do not conform to our former lusts because we should be too busy conforming to the image of Jesus. Everything that we say or do in private and in front of the crowds should look and sound like Jesus. He is the Lord. Therefore, he is supremely holy, and he instructs us to be holy like him. As we draw closer to the conclusion today, let's talk briefly about God's holiness. If we didn't know better, we would likely think that it means that he's sinless, or perfect, or divine. I remember when I was small, I always thought that God being holy meant that God was light, and that holiness was how bright and how shiny God was in comparison to us. While he does have all these attributes, that is not what holiness is. God has set himself apart into a category of his own. That is what it means to be holy, to be set apart. He has no equal, and there is nothing that has or ever will exist that will even come close to comparing to him. He is in a class of his own, and that's what it means for him to be holy. Please do not read God's command in verse 16 to mean that he wants you to be perfect as a human being on earth. You and I both know that it is not possible for us to be perfect like him. We cannot possibly be sinless in our mortality. But what he is saying is that we need to recognize that he placed us in a category completely separate from the world around us. He wants us to be a cut above. He wants us to be in a class of our own that reflects his glory and his character. We disgrace him. We disgrace our Father by being indistinguishable from those who do not know him or care whether he even exists. His command for us is very possible, and it should be the goal that we strive to meet every day from here to eternity. So let me ask you, We have spent weeks studying the Holy Spirit and what he has done for you and the fact that he is with you every day after you have been saved. Are you ready? Prepare your mind for action. Keep sober 
in spirit. Fix your hope on Jesus Christ. Live and as an obedient child of God. Be holy because he is holy. Is there urgency behind this? Absolutely there is. Don't forget the first words of Jesus in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 1 verse 15 says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Likewise, the call to those who are still lost is available. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 says that while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Salvation is still available to this world, and we are the hands and feet and mouths of the gospel. Let's take our mission seriously as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. I hope you enjoyed today's lesson, and I look forward to the next time that we're together. We will be entering into new topics in the weeks to come, so I look forward to seeing you here again. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.